I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 2, Episode 4 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1, Rust Belts and Blue Collars. In conducting my research for this episode, I was surprised to learn that dinosaurs were only around during one era, the Mesozoic era, and in that era, there were only three periods, the Triassic, the Jurassic, and the Cretaceous. For some reason, I thought there was a lot more to it, but hey, those are the kinds of rich and valuable lessons available to you when you're authoring a podcast. For we humans, while we have eras and periods and dynasties, there's another terminology I'd like to discuss today. Developmental periods throughout human history are typically termed ages, and they're identified by what was driving progress over a given point in time. There was the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, and the Iron Age, for instance, although these are more pertinent to archaeology buffs. A bit closer to our current place in time, we have the Age of Agriculture, as mankind learned to master soil and livestock, and of course the two ages that we know best, the Industrial Age, from which we've mostly progressed, and the Information Age, in which we now live. But I'd like to offer that these ages have a bit more nuance than that. There's a false sense in finality when discussing them, as if one begins where another cleanly ends. I would never argue that we aren't in the information age right now. We clearly are, even to the point that some experts think we're passing through it and approaching another new age altogether. But I would argue that the majority of people in the world during this very information age are not fully of the information age. We're a blend at a messy point of transition. As a species, we are not both feet into the information age and both feet out of the industrial age. And if you look closely enough, you can see it everywhere. Perhaps I'm keenly aware of this sentiment because my hometown, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, is a model of post-industrial rebirth, and I've witnessed this slow ebbing and flowing transition throughout my entire life. The steel city only has one remaining active steel mill today but it's thriving as a center for computer technology and AI advancements and is now a crucial geography for pioneering self-driving cars. Ask a Pittsburgher though, and they identify with their roots, a blue collar lunch pail city that values a hard day's labor, blood, sweat, and tears. But make no mistake, Pittsburgh, like many other Rust Belt American cities and many other post-industrial cities throughout the world, is much more of a tech town now. You just won't see any petitions to change the NFL franchise name from the Steelers to the Coders. Reverence for industry and blue-collar jobs isn't restricted only to my place of birth, I'll admit. So let me take another tack to bring you in on this, regardless of where you're from. You, listener, are also a resident of the information age, a human being linked to the internet and Wi-Fi and all things digital more and more year over year, unlike any human before you on the planet. You likely spend over four hours per day looking at your connected phone. And if you're listening in the Philippines, you spend over 10 hours a day on the internet. No doubt about it, your life experience is highly digital, regardless of where you're from. But what happens when you attempt the tough task of describing human feelings or reactions? You just might find that you say things like, his emotions are boiling over, or she blew a gasket, or I need to let off some steam. Does this sound like the terminology of someone fully of the information age? Obviously not. We're actually still so linked to the industrial age that when it comes to how we feel, 
We just as often describe our emotions in terms of the machines that have in large part driven our progress. There is no clean chronological break, nor is there one in our world of buildings. It's the industrial age and the improved processes that came with it that brought us the skyscrapers and city skylines that we identify with today, and the vistas that make us swell with pride when we think of our hometowns. It was blue-collar workers sitting on beams 70 stories into the sky that built our most iconic buildings, from which white-collar workers reported for duty, lawyering, accounting, designing, and selling. It was the blue-collar work that enabled the boom of cities and the workplaces from which the knowledge and service economies could grow and thrive to the dominant positions they hold in the eyes of economists throughout the world today. And there was a pretty clean line in that when the blue-collar work was done, the white-collar work would commence. In the information age, connectivity has taken center stage as workplace expectations continue to evolve. And in modern workplaces, white-collar workers might use AI and algorithms to faster find their case files or run their audits or to more efficiently buy and sell their stocks. But blue-collar work never stops in these spaces either now, as what might be called blue-collar IT facilitates better work experiences and environments and better conditions to optimize output and performance. There is no clean break in our world of smart buildings between where one form of high-tech ends and the other begins, as this facility technology feeds into a more productive work environment, and those outputs are then fed back into the facility. Basically, in the information age, buildings are living, breathing organisms, iteratively improved by blue-collar IT from years 1 to 100, facilitating and enabling the productive outputs generated in the building all along the way. And along with these information age capabilities has come interest and demand. Owners, developers, and occupants want smart buildings, and they want well buildings. It's an exciting, transformative time for investment in commercial real estate. So let's talk about what it means, what can be done, and who is involved. And today, we'll talk about this with Cormac Crossan, Business Development Director in Real Estate at Schneider Electric. Previously focusing professionally in the world of data centers, Cormac has discovered a home for himself in the convergence he's found among his pet subjects, as he calls them, in the world of commercial real estate and CRE smart building technology. He's an avid quote smith and a quotable guy in his own right, and he'll make for the perfect steward of this conversation around the changing nature of commercial real estate requirements in technology and services. We speak with Cormac in Act 2. Act 2. Cities have the capability of providing something for everybody only because, and only when, they are created by everybody. Jane Jacobs. And with that, let's dive right into the conversation with Cormac. Cormac, thanks for joining me. I um, Yeah, no worries, Todd. Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you on. In the intro today, I mentioned that I grew up in Pittsburgh. I'm interested, where, where did you grow up? What are the traditional industries there? And then, you know, maybe what are the traditions and heritages there? I mentioned, you know, my, my NFL franchise, the Steelers, uh, for example. Uh, maybe tell us a little bit about where you're from. So I live in France now, and I've been living in France for 15 years. Amazing. But I grew up in rural Ireland. Uh, the main industry where I grew up was, you know, was agriculture. But there's been a huge change in the economy in Ireland since my youth. And now 
you know, friends who would have grown up on farms, they still have the farm and they farm in the evening, but they're working in finance in the daytime in pharmaceuticals, there's oil and gas subsidiaries, there's IT, there's so it's 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 a much more diverse economy than it was. I love the idea of people working in some of the newer sectors during the day and going back and doing some farming stuff at night. That's kind of like a trend in a lot of American cities. People are trying to do urban farming and gardening and things like that, but it's baked into the Irish tradition, I guess. Um, from your time traveling around through Europe, which, which cities in Europe, or I guess throughout the world, come to mind when you think of transitions from blue-collar identities to, to tech identities? Actually, probably Grenoble in France is a good example. Okay. So Grenoble used to be, it actually used to be the European capital of glove manufacturing. Okay. Glove. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they moved, then they, because they're near the mountains, they had a huge potential for hydroelectricity. So they moved into electrical infrastructure. And uh, that's where merlin Girard was, uh, you know, was headquartered. And that's a big part of the Schneider Electric history. And it's now, I would say, it's a digital powerhouse now. You have IT, you have biotechnologies, you have new energy technologies, all with competency sensors in, uh, in Grenoble. So that's a good example. You could pretty much pick, you know, you could pick, pick any, I won't say any, but any of a raft of cities in the UK would be very similar. I was reading a statistic the other day that said half of all of the UK workforce, half of 30 million workers in the UK work in offices. Now, bear in mind, this is the country that kicked off the industrial age. Only, only a heartbeat ago, in terms, you know, in historical terms. And now half of anybody on a salary in the UK, they're all working in, in offices. So I think it's, it's indicative of this move to knowledge economy. And if, if anybody should be married to an industrial economy, you'd think it would be kind of where it started. There's a lot of pride in that. But the statistic there of people working as knowledge workers now is just a really, really good illustration of the way things are changing. Thanks for bringing that up. And it, it gets us into things like commercial real estate development and what you spend most of your time doing uh, as a professional. And obviously, we mentioned sort of how cities have changed and how roles have changed in general. But in terms of commercial real estate, how have the demands on commercial real estate development changed during your career? Probably the single biggest change is uh, tenant expectations. Mm -hmm. And this really is, I think, what catalyzes everything else in the, in the very complex ecosystem that underpins real estate development. So if you think about it, the way offices were built historically was it's a direct legacy of the industrial age. You know, so you have people sitting in, in regular groups. You know, they look like batches, basically, yep. in, a, in a factory. And there was no consideration given to how these people perceived their space or how they experienced it or how, you know, were they comfortable or... And slowly but surely, there's, you know, a growing acknowledgement that productivity is not just about, you know, it's not only the stick, it's also the carrot, right? So you, you need to put in place a certain number of conditions that are conducive to productivity happening. And so well-being is now a big thing. You have things like the well certification. Yep. And the overall, you know, the overall way people experience their workplace, I think, is now front and center. Yeah, absolutely. I, we see that in a lot of the segments that we talk about is just that the occupant expectation and ultimately the occupant preference and demand and sort of authority in where they work or where they stay or whatever dictates the developments in a particular sector. I'd say as well, like on top of the tenant expectations, you also have, you know, you have the arrival of digital 
So that's kind of coming from the outside of all of the technology that's been developed in other sectors. And I'm seeing like a huge increase in investment into prop tech. So I was reading a study recently that said 53% of commercial real estate firms are investing in at least one prop tech firm. And that would be, you know, like 15 years ago, it would be unheard of. Property companies invested in property full stop. Tech is a huge thing uh, in and of itself. But I guess it probably is, a lot of it is catalyzed by the tenant expectations that I mentioned. We had Bobby Joe Provost on here in season one, and she said a big thing for real estate development has always been location, location, location. And now it's technology, technology, technology. So it's very similar to what you're saying. The, the, mm. the term you're using, prop tech, is one that I'm sort of familiar with, but I think it's pretty central on commercial real estate. What would you describe PropTech as? I use PropTech basically to describe any new, small startup that is using some digital technology that we've inherited from outside of the industry to solve an industry problem. So it could be something on the, for example, the brokerage side. Mm -hmm. It could be around transacting. But there are lots of companies that are looking at the big dilemmas on the OPEX cycle in the building. So I think that the big driver behind that is this growing dawning realization that you know data is money mm -hmm. and your average building produces an absolute ton of data so you take a building like the edge the deloitte headquarters in amsterdam i think the figure is 10 gigabytes a week wow. so if if it is a currency well why wouldn't you mine it why would you not, <laughs> why would you not have everything in place in order to, to capture that and translate it into business value and let's go a step further if you don't what is the risk you are running of being disrupted out of existence by someone who does yep. so i think that's what's catalyzing this whole seismic shift towards prop tech and also i think the acknowledgement that a lot of this innovation just can't happen organically and a lot of companies are accept that, that it's, it's not something you can develop in-house. So they're looking to smaller you know, outside companies to provide that innovative in impulse. I'm so happy that you brought up prop tech like this, because we obviously talk about technology a lot in the series, but we think of it really kind of central to building automation and operational technology. There are a lot of things that technology can benefit in a building experience, whether it's kind of how leases are signed or different operations or um, yes. And all of that, you know, all of that, it, it's one big ecosystem, right? So, like, one of the questions that I think PropTech is trying to answer is, like, why can't you buy a house like you buy, mm -hmm. I don't know, like you buy a, a telephone on Amazon? Yep. It goes beyond building automation and goes beyond the technologies that are actually, you know, helping the building to, to run. It's covering a lot of other areas. Thanks for introducing us to that. If I'm in the commercial real estate industry, I'm going to be looking at different types of prop tech and software and investments, and um, it sounds like there's a lot for me to consider. Would I be right to say that in that consideration, optimizing worker experience is the most important thing or among the most important things for, for stakeholders in that industry? It's probably where, the, where you have the highest stakes financially. Okay. One of the things I talk about a lot is the JLL rule, the 330-300 rule. Okay, yep. I don't know if you know this rule. Uh, so $3 per square foot is typically your utility bill. $30 per square foot is typically your weighted OPEX for that same square foot. And 300 is typically the associated cost in terms of payroll. Or if, you know, if we accept, and all the research points to this, that there is a, you know, there's a relationship between the conditions in the building and the productivity of the people in it, then you're going to start impacting that big 300 number right so you're going to you're going to get more quality 
for that those three hundred dollars that you're spending a square foot. It's a big topic because of the you know because of the financial implications. It could be the difference between an IFM client cancelling their contract or renewing. It could be the difference between a large tenant staying on for another nine years of a lease or looking elsewhere. Yep. And so the the numbers suddenly become commensurately larger. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I love the three thirty three hundred concepts. The idea that you know one increment of change on where you're spending three hundred dollars per square foot matters a lot more than one increment of change where you're spending thirty or three dollars per square foot. And focusing that on the cost of the the people that are in that space does lend itself to saying, all right, let's help let's help whoever's in this space be as productive as possible because it really really matters. And it leads to retention. It also, I think, does a good job of leading to recruitment. So you see a lot of new talent entering these facilities because it's a place that they realize they can thrive. So I'm glad that you brought that concept up. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely true too. Yeah. How has the worker experience changed since you got started in the industry? And could be health and wellness, leisure, obviously digital. Maybe any examples that you've seen. How has it changed? There's a lot more recognition acknowledgement that the worker experience is really really important and so there is as a knock-on effect of that there is more energy attention and budget being allocated to cracking that particular problem so i was at i was at a conference in march where there were two really prominent property developers and they both said that commercial real estate is increasingly a b2c sale okay so this really surprised me they said that Basically, they are looking to sell to the occupants, not the occupier. So if they can create services and engage directly digitally yep. with the occupants of the building and ensure that those occupants are happy, then the occupier's satisfaction is a, almost insured and they're almost certain to renew lease and to be satisfied with the quality of service. And so the influence of the hospitality industry is osmosing over to the office environment. So KP Reddy was a guest of ours at the at the premiere of this season, and he talked a lot about how technology is becoming more human to human, and that we need to see our customer really as that end user and occupant, because that closer connection that we have to each individual and the way that we can personalize that, uh, the better it is for everybody. In getting closer to the customer, is, is technology, in your opinion, central to these changes and, and making that happen? Commercial real estate, if you're looking for a highly tech intensive industry you've come to the wrong place right mm -hmm. it's not a it's not a very technologized sector i think they're actually i think cre is actually behind the fisheries industry give you an idea <laughs> okay. so it's not setting the bar very high right so your question was has technology been central the great thing in cre is that in order to be successful you have to find some way of differentiating your product so technology is a an avenue that is explored. So you have these really smart buildings popping up all over the world, which sort of shine a beacon on where you can take the built environment. You know, there's potential everywhere. You know, IoT, as one example, allows for you know huge advantages, right? H. James Harrington said that if you can't measure something, you can't understand it. And if you can't understand it, you can't control it. And if you can't control it, you can't improve it. So IoT means that we can basically instrument buildings to a level of granularity that was previously unimaginable. And we're going to have this tsunami of data that we can process and we can turn into business value. And we're definitely seeing some very, very good examples of that. I'll give you one example. Okay. So you take the, you know, your, your regular lighting control system in a building. So, right, there's a 
there's usually a sensor in the ceiling yep. that will turn off the lights if somebody leaves the room and turn them on if they come in. So there's just a tiny packet of information that's created every time there's a change in that state. Now, the, the value of that piece of data is equivalent to the amount of energy that it's saving on the lighting bill. Understood. And now in the age of LEDs, that's absolutely tiny. But if you give that piece of data wings, if you allow it to be, let's say, exposed to every user in the building and not just some siloed lighting control system, suddenly every person in a gigantic building can see which rooms are free and which ones aren't. I read some research from Steelcase, and they said that 40% of office workers spend 30 minutes a day looking for an available collaboration space. Now, let's say, I put it in American day, in a 500,000 square foot facility, yeah. if you crunch the numbers, that means that a corporate occupier is paying their people about $6.2 million just to look for places to work. And so the very fact of just changing the contextualization of that data can start to solve that problem. That's an example of where you can instrument an entire office floor with sensors that can address that exact problem. And you're suddenly able to, you know, you're, you're looking at technology that has ROI potential that is just through the roof. Systems that pay for themselves in a, in a matter of weeks, let alone years. If you really think about what you're describing there at the big picture and what data is allowing you to free up, Technology's improved in lighting, so you would think, okay, that infrared sensor is now just going to become less and less valuable because I'm not saving as much energy when I've got better technology. That technology is also always going to continue to improve, but you can repurpose it, and now it's more valuable than it was before. And I think from a CRE perspective, in terms of maybe it's not as fully embracing digital as other industries, industries aren't digital until they are. There's some obvious examples. So those good ideas and those investments in prop tech that you talked about before can really turn this thing on a dime really quick. Another avenue of investment that's something that CRE has faced over time is sustainability metrics and requirements. How about that? How have those demands changed responsibilities and metrics in real estate? I think the big change that I've seen is the impact of sustainability on actual building valuation. So, you know, building appraisal is something that's quite regimented, but there's some really interesting signs that sustainability is, has actually got an intrinsic value in terms of how much buildings transact for, how much they rent for, etc. There was some really good research, 2016 EU-funded study on green buildings said that smart connected commercial buildings, so we're talking about sustainable buildings, typically command rents that are between 2.5 and 11.8% higher. Okay. That's like a 15% bump in net operating income. And they can transact for anything between 5 and 35% more than the average market price. I mean, these are huge numbers in an industry where you get excited over basis point variance, right? Yeah. It's another reason why there's so much VC activity in prop tech. So there's, like a, there's this consensus that tech or digital, whatever you want to call it, is a value driver in commercial real estate. I don't think it's about saving the planet. Uh, that's a good, it could be a very positive side effect of that. But I do think today it's a financial sort of a business decision. You know, sustainable development just makes good business sense. I think that's really well said. It's silly not to pursue it uh, because you're leaving opportunity and dollars on the table. What are the big things we still must do from a facilities operation level? So thinking about the facility managers to help future-proof facilities to ensure that workforces remain satisfied and those workers that benefit from that $300 per square foot are fully productive. 
the thing is that a, a lot of the buildings that these workers are in are instrumented in such a way that there's a huge amount of potential. It's just that the systems are in some cases badly run or they're not maybe run at all. Okay. And it, that's symptomatic of the fundamental dichotomy between the supply and, and demand, or let's say the capex and opex side cycles in real estate. So you develop a property, you build it, and then everybody that was involved in that typically just moves out and a new team comes in to operate the place and they maybe don't understand the decisions that were, that were taken from a technology standpoint. There's this big divide. So I think that there's a huge opportunity for technology to actually intervene and help solve that particular problem. One of the ways you can do that is you look at, for example, the, the migration from preventive to, let's say, predictive or condition-based maintenance. So there's a strong business case for this, right? So if you look at IBM research, and they're looking at all, all sectors, not just real estate, but they say that your overall maintenance costs in a system can be reduced by as much as 50% just by making this switch. So in concrete terms, what do we mean? We mean, instead of saying an engineer has to check a particular system on the 7th of March every year at the same time and create a report, we connect the system and we remotely monitor that system and check in real time for changes in behavior of the system and benchmark that to an ideal system behavior and extrapolate. It could be imminent failures or it could be performance issues. And typically systems that exist today on the market can prioritize issues in a building based on things like how much is it actually costing me from an energy perspective? Yep. Or it could be what's my maintenance risk? So how likely is it that this system is actually going to fail? Or it could be, my favorite is when it's telling you from a comfort perspective, because that's where the money is, right? You want people in the building to be comfortable. There's some JLL research that says uh, workers in comfortable environments can be up to 16% more productive. 16% of what? It's 16% of hundreds of millions of dollars. We always talk about performances of buildings and lots of aspects. Rare we talk about the actual economics of a building. Yeah. I think the good thing from a facility standpoint, certainly from the discussions that we're having with some of the major players in that space, is that we seem to be, and this is a really good thing, we seem to be moving away from this cost obsession. You know, so just save me 2% on my overheads and we're moving towards a more a value-based approach where you're actually on the same side of the table as an IFM with your corporate occupier and saying, okay, how do we make you guys more successful as a business? And I think that type of conversation is always a infinitely more productive and amenable and positive conversation than just looking at it from a cost perspective. And the timing is really good for that conversation too, because another thing we know about facilities operation is a lot of folks that work in that field are entering retirement age and aren't being replaced one for one. So Great. when we can yes. work with them and help them with technology augmentation, it benefits even more so. A lot of people listening to this call, myself included, you included, are knowledge or service workers that report to buildings from time to time. And I think we're probably interested in the type of new technologies that we might be able to expect in our own life experiences. What kind of stuff do you see for knowledge and service workers? A famous podcaster called Tyler quoted, uh, <laughs> you quoted William Gibson. I, I think in your very first podcast, I really liked his quote, the future is already here. Mm -hmm. It's just not evenly distributed. So when we talk about new technologies, I, I've been in some buildings where 
if every building got to that level in 10, 15 years time, I'd be perfectly happy with that. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's really, really impressive what they're able to do. I've been in a, in a refurb facility in the outskirts of Paris where you've an end-to-end digital experience. So your, your, your phone gets into the car park. It tells you where the free car parking space is. It's your access control badge to get anywhere in the building. It pays for anything in the building. It tells you where your spaces are so you can go and sit. Controls your environment, lights, blinds, temperature. It tells your FM if there's a an issue in a, in a particular space. It's like, you know, it's like Star Trek. It's very difficult to move back to the office stone age when you've actually had that. And the cool thing is that beyond the whole digital thing, we're, we're always talking about the digital, but there's an increasing realization that biophilic design is a thing. So we as people, you talked about human to human, we need contact with nature. So yeah. you're seeing green areas in buildings. And in this particular building, they actually introduced chemical free cleaning. So there are no chemicals in the building. And apparently, studies show people thrive much more in environments like that. So your question, what new technologies will there be? I think a lot of what we actually will need in the future is already here. But what we don't have is the effective, let's say, middleware and integrations and collaboration across the ecosystem that allow things to work together. That's the way I see it. A lot of the technology we already have would just be coming democratized and better integrated. That would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be okay with that too. I'm not asking for, you know, teleportation from the lobby to the 20th floor. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would take it if it became available, but I agree. I'll take the, the integration. How about for technologies that will become more central or available to building managers or even sustainability managers too, and people that have specific mm. roles? There's a huge challenge for building managers, right? I've got an old stat, but it's a good stat. If you look at the built environments, a report that came out in 2012, it said that there's still about 82% of the economic potential of energy efficiency in the buildings, which are untapped. So we're way behind. You have to think about the enormity of what those numbers mean. It means there's this huge gold mine, huge pile of money that we as an industry can go and tap into. The technologies that will help building managers to do that, you're looking at cloud-based analytics, obviously. You're looking at artificial intelligence, machine learning, where you know you mentioned a very interesting point, Tyler, the fact that there is a competency gap, which yep. is coming, we can see it. And I think that some of the technology that's available now is really, really well placed to help these professionals and assist them in their daily lives and make them way more, uh, way more, I'd say, efficient and get them to, you know, they'll be able to produce much more business value with the same or maybe even less time in the office. So I, I always think about this when we talk about technology and there's two very opposing views. Okay. There's the dystopian and the utopian, you know, there's, I call it, there's Terminator and Iron Man. Yeah. Terminator technology would eventually destroy us and Iron Sky Man. Nuts. Yeah. Uh, or, but there's the Iron Man view, which is, you know, there's this really cool suit which makes Tony Stark so unbeatable. So I'm on the utopians. I think that we'll be more the Iron Man side than the Terminator side. So we're going to have all these Iron Man building managers with uh, with cool suits telling them how to <laughs> save energy and make everybody productive and Really, that's what we should start manufacturing is Iron Man suits. (laughs) That's a different type of prop tech right there that we can launch. I'm sure we could throw that out at uh, conferences. Launch being the operative word. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Mm. man. (laughs) 
so so there's uh there's so much great stuff that we've talked about here and if i'm if i put myself in the position of somebody that works at a real estate firm or a developer there's a lot to consider how should i prepare myself in this case for that uncertain future and, and what is the reward for me as a real estate firm in doing so i think step one right now is and i'll be very categorical about this sure. i think that it starts with having a robust clearly defined digital strategy which is driven top down by the c-suite it's no longer an option you can't just dip your toe in the pool casually invest in one prop tech and think you've clicked the box the reality is you know digital is here it's here to stay it has the potential and will almost certainly disrupt this industry to an extent that it'll be beyond recognition mm -hmm. in a matter of five to ten years time i think and so i think that the onus is on everyone to think strategically and over the long term. If I can paraphrase Maximus from Gladiator, <laughs> what you do now echoes in eternity, right? So what the what this commercial real estate industry will do right now is going to have a major impact going forward. Why do I say that? Because some studies show that if you take all the buildings that will exist in 2050, guess what? 75% of them are already here. Mm -hmm. So everything that we do now it's not going to disappear overnight. We talk about the long cycles in real estate. We need to be mindful of, and this is a more serious topic, we need to be mindful of what real estate in the future will have to do. It will have to support a much more urban global population, 2.5 billion more people living in cities between now and 2050. It's going to have to support a way more electrical world. right? So I think we're going to double our, our energy consumption between now and 2050. And the rate of electrification, so that the increase in the use of electricity will increase twice as fast as overall energy demand. So an increasingly electrical world, an increasingly decentralized electricity grid. So you're going to have buildings that are going to have to become miniature power stations at the risk of becoming obsolete or worth less. So the stakes are extraordinarily high. You know, you're talking about facilities that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars so i would say playtime is over have a look around you you'll see chief digital officers popping up all over the place yep. in commercial real estate companies if you haven't already done so you need to be thinking about that companies need to have that knowledge in-house in order to discern what the path forward is and who their digital partners should be that would be my slightly sobering thought it's, it's the chips are down what you can't see through the call is that i'm just nodding my head to everything that you say there because it is time to identify the permanence in what we're doing and the inevitability of urbanization electrification decentralization digitization all those things it's it's perfectly said you've mentioned that you're a utopian or you've got an iron man philosophy i guess uh, when it comes to technology i'd like to ask you one closing question as a utopian, you might be able to tell me a little bit about why you're excited to be a professional in the building technology industry. It's a good question. I think it, to me, it provides a fix for a host of my pet topics. So it's like the crossroads between several different worlds. You have the world of business and high finance. I find that interesting. I've always loved numbers. You have art. So I love architecture. That's another aspect to it. It's part of all of this idea of creating spaces that people will be in. You know, we spend 90% of our lives in buildings. So there is that aspect to it as well, the artistic bent that we all have. I guess there's the psychology aspect of it. You know, you talked about human to human. 
So yep. I'm really passionate about how we interact with all these we interact with all these buildings and how we're all different. It's like something you said, Tyler. We all have the same iPhone, but your iPhone is completely different to mine because of all the different applications you have on it. You know, that's yep. the type of other psychology. And then the last of those four would be technology. How is it going to capture the potential of all these different technological advances that are seeping in from these other industries? AI, machine learning, analytics, augmented reality, virtual reality, whatever the next big thing will be. And it's a fascinating, fascinating time. It's, it's a fantastically dynamic uh, industry to be in at the moment. It's the best possible time to be involved in commercial real estate. Well, I really appreciate you coming on as a guest. I'm truly, I can't wait to share this with our audience. Really fun information, well said, uh, well researched. So thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely no problem. Thank you for the opportunity to speak to her. I really love producing this podcast. The fact that I can regularly meet new people and host new guests whom I'd otherwise have never met due to the power of digital conversation and recording technologies like Skype is not lost on me. Our call with Cormac went across the pond today from NYC to Paris, and I'm thankful to live in an age where this is possible and easy and often taken for granted. Next week, the distance span between participants will be a little less impressive, but the topic will be about evolutions at a place that can physically, as opposed to digitally, transport both me and you throughout the rest of the world. Where am I talking about? Find out on the next Story Up. I am so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast, and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake. friend in new jersey who does that actually he's a he's a computer programmer yeah but he, he can work remotely yeah i think it, i'm not sure where his actual company is it's not in new jersey um but he works remotely and he's he lives on a farm that's kind of the dream man it's um, the, the gig economy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's definitely a different yeah. way to look at the gig economy